This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Wednesday, February 21st, 2024, and today will be better than yesterday. I'm Buster Only, and working from his home in California is Sean Bartley. And Sean, I've noticed a couple things about you right off the bat. You know, I might say 9 Eastern time, which means 6 a.m. for you out in California, and you are unflinching. Are you a morning person? Starting to be. Starting to be, not going to lie. <laughs> the answer a, then would be no, you're not. <laughs> I have about I have about three alarms that, to make sure that I don't oversleep um, and make sure that we have a good show. Nice. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, on today's show, we're going to be talking with Paul Embikides. we got team previews with the Mets and the Yankees. And I'll be speaking with Alex Anthopoulos, the head of baseball operations for the Atlanta Braves. We'll be talking about Ronald Acuna Jr. and whether or not he can improve clubhouse culture following the departure of Ron Washington, and we'll also mix a little talk about dogs. Sean, are you a dog guy? I am a dog guy. My folks have two of them. They have a golden lab named Ozzy, and they have a um, Pomeranian Chihuahua mix named Roxy. Love them both, though. Nice. Who's Ozzy named for? Do you have any idea? No, I actually, I have no idea. My mom just came home one day with a dog and she's like, me, Ozzy. And I was like, all right, Ozzy. <laughs> well, and of course, I, you know, I mean, there's just some Ozzy Smith, Ozzy Guillen. There's so many people in baseball, but, you know, it also could be Ozzy Osbourne, right? Right. Yeah. So we'll, 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 uh, we'll see. Yeah. Report back on that. Uh, okay. But a good conversation that I had with Alex, you get to hear that in a moment coming up. First, some news and notes. Liam Hendricks agreed to a two-year deal with the Red Sox which is really the Red Sox betting that he'll be able to come come back from Tommy John surgery and pitch effectively in 2025. He's going to miss most of this year after having surgery in the middle of last year. Uh, his deal, two years, $10 million is a mutual option for a third year as well. Whit Merrifield joined the Phillies on a one-year deal with the club option for 2025. He'll be making $8 million to be basically a utility player for the Phillies. Uh, Shohei Otani had his first session of live batting practice, and here's what it sounded like. Yeah, Otani, not surprisingly, in his first swings in live batting practice, he hit a home run. Of course, he's going to be in position to be the Dodgers' full-time DH this year. He will not be able to pitch. The Washington Nationals are not for sale. That, according to principal owner Mark Lerner, who talked to the Washington Post on Monday about this, they had been on the market for the last couple of years. The Phillies hope to sign Zach Wheeler uh, sometime before the start of the season. Wheeler spoke to the reporters earlier in spring training and indicated that there had been conversations between the Phillies and his representative. Mike Trout wants to stay an angel. He explained to reporters why he's not uh, pushing to make a trade. The quote from Trout, the easy way out is to ask for a trade. There might be a time, maybe. I really haven't thought about this, but when I sign that contract, I'm loyal. I want to win a championship here. The overall picture of winning a championship or getting the playoffs here is bigger satisfaction than bailing out and just taking the easy way out. Um, Mike Trout, of course, is a full no-trade clause. He has a teammate who also had something to say meeting with reporters on Monday, and that got a lot of attention. Sean, what else you got? Oh, man, we got another big day in college uh, college football, the College Football Game Day podcast will be coming out soon with Reese Davis and Pete Thamel. I want to give a huge shout out to my other producer, Adrian, who's been uh, helping me with that podcast and making it uh, a show of our own. So be sure to check that out wherever you listen to your podcast. Jumping into the numbers. This is Himbo Knows on Baseball Tonight. Hembo, of course, is Paul Embicates, uh, Mike Greenberg's right-hand man and the highest-paid researcher and content producer in all of this industry. Hembo, how you doing? Buster, I'm doing great. And I have to say, there is nothing quite like spring training. I'm not down there like so many of my friends and colleagues, but just getting just getting to, to see like the BP on the field, getting to see the bullpen footage, getting to hear the chirping of the birds, which, of course, people on this podcast so know and love is something endearing we have passed through football season we have gotten mercifully out of the nba all-star weekend and now i can turn my attention to the most important thing in the world and that of course is the upcoming baseball season well you know and you just led in into uh, our conversation perfectly because i was going to say boy did the nba players they deserve giant thanks from major league baseball players 
for the launch of spring training with the way that all-star game went. Yes. Uh, a hotly contested affair with a total of three personal fouls and no defense played. What a disgrace. <laughs> well, it was terrible. And Hembo, anybody who's played pickup basketball knows that they can do a lot better than that. You know what uh, I mean? That drove yes, me the, crazy the, watching that. The, and I it, it, and it took me back to those stories from the 92 Dream Team where you've got, you know, uh, Michael Jordan and Magic Johnson and Larry Bird and Charles Barkley. And they knew they were going to win the gold medal, right? But from the stories you hear, the practices that they were having were epic because those guys respected each other so much, respected the game, and they went at it. So to watch that the other night, that was terrible. The the least I should be able to expect or assume as a fan is that the player is going to care as much as I do. The, the, the player will try as hard as he can, no matter what the environment is. If I'm going to pay my money or use my time to watch, all I can ask is that you care as much as I do. And in the case of that stupid game, those guys failed absolutely miserably. All right. Uh, there was a reason why I got into that, because it's going to help us transition to what Anthony Rendon said to reporters on Monday morning. Here's Rendon speaking with those covering the Angels. It's still a top priority for you? That's never been a top priority for me. This is a job. So I do this to make a living. Uh, my faith, my family come first before this job. So if those things come before it, I'm leaving. Is it a priority? Oh, it's a priority for sure. This is my job. I'm here, aren't I? Do you want to be here? I don't want to talk to you guys at <laughs> seven in the morning or whatever time it is. So, Did you, I mean, do you want? I mean, do you want to like be here playing baseball? I have playing? answered your question. So why do you keep thinking at it? Oh, <laughs> yeah, you technically answered it. Thank you. <laughs> All right, uh, Hembo. When you heard this sound, what was your reaction? I cringed because um, <laughs> it was highly cringeworthy. The problem is not that he said it. The problem, Buster, is that it's true. Um, and it's also proof positive that teams have to look beyond the back of the baseball card before handing out nine-figure contracts. Uh, how a, be a human being might change or react to receiving generational money is a very under-discussed aspect of sports, in my opinion. And if you don't love playing and if you don't burn to be the best that you can be, well, naturally, your performance ceiling is much lower. And in, a, in the case of Anthony Rendon specifically, I think your willingness to expedite your return from injury might not be satisfactory. Also, I very much resent the implication that one cannot prioritize their family and their faith and their profession. Like, I happen to be a person of faith. I happen to have two children. And I also take enormous pride in the work that I do. All that being said... I, this is Anthony Rendon, so I'm not surprised, but I am disappointed. This was a really easy opportunity not to create headlines, and he then went on to say the worst thing imaginable. And, and look, it's not the first time we've heard thoughts like this from Rendon where he talked about how he viewed baseball as boring. Uh, you know, he advocated for a, a much shorter season. There are too many games. That's, you know, and I, I've always enjoyed my conversations with him. He's obviously a smart baseball guy. He's got, you know, he's so good at what he does. But what I would say to him is, man, where's the joy? Like, I, I mean, people, I, I do feel really lucky that I've been able to have the jobs that I've had during the course of my career. And I tell people all the time, like, I don't really feel like this is work. Like, this is fun. This is, you know, going to spring training is is fun, and talking with players is fun. And I think that's what, especially when you're trying to sell a product to millions of people, uh, don't you want to exude some of the joy in the sport? Uh, you know, I, that that's what surprised me so much is that, because you know you can't get to be as good as Rendon is or has been in the past without at some point having some joy in what you're doing. Where's that? And I do think he's got a responsibility even if, let's say, that's been cut down 10% during his career, to exude that, that's leadership. You know, that's showing up every day and helping other players in your clubhouse by demonstrating you're happy to be there. When you sound like that, it it, it sounds like you're being dragged along. Uh, 100%. Um, I think there are probably a lot of players that that feel the same way that he does, which is to say, I'm certain that not every Major League Baseball player adores playing baseball every single day. But... In the end, you are still someone making, in this case, $215 million over the course of seven years to play baseball, which is something that I would have literally died to do for a living. And for him not to have 
I think, adequate perspective on how good he has it and how blessed he has been is obviously a turnoff for fans who love to invest their time and money into watching him do something that he doesn't like doing. Uh, in the end of the day, it's it's really a turnoff and I think a perfect microcosm for where the Angels are of all places. You played on teams at a much higher level than I did. Uh, that's part of what I took away or my reaction to what yesterday was, was, man, he's got a responsibility as a leader in that organization is one of the highest paid guys. Now, the second highest paid guy behind Mike Trout to step up and to generate some enthusiasm. I mean, not only are your teams athletically, but you're on different shows. It's the same dynamic there. Eduardo Perez and the shows that I've worked with is one of the great leaders I've been around. I think Mike Greenberg, who, you know, uh, you've worked with so much. I think he's really good at that is to generate enthusiasm. And that's something I think Anthony needs to take responsibility for. There's no question about it. Uh, Anthony, like when, when you're, when you're making as much money as Anthony Rendon is making to play baseball, it also comes with other responsibilities that are not laid out in your contract, right. like it or not. Anthony Rendon is not going to be remembered fondly as a ball player in large part because of all of this. Some people might say when reading his comments, right, or listening to those comments, well, he has his life in proper perspective. But truthfully, Buster, you can't actually do that job and you can't actually do any job well by living in proper perspective. That's kind of the point. And what makes playing baseball different than every other job of its kind or any kind <laughs> is that it's something that almost anyone would die to do because it's a kid's game. And the fact that he can't wrap his mind around that, and even if he can wrap his mind around that, chooses to resort to these same bizarre talking points is if not a black eye for the organization, certainly a bad look and a terrible tone setter as they embark on what is likely to be another terribly disappointing season. You know, I would love to have been a fly on the wall the first time that Rendon, after these comments got out and got some attention, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall in the room when you had a Ron Washington or an Eric Young, who we're going to be talking about with uh, Alex Anthopoulos today about their impact on the Braves clubhouse. The enthusiasm that those guys go through every single day I would love to hear that, and and they wouldn't like talk down to him. But you know, in a in a clubhouse, guys give each other a hard time. I bet you, I bet you, they would good naturedly like, hey, Anthony Rendon, you hate baseball, huh? Yeah, it almost feels, good. it almost feels like at this point, it's become like a bit. Like I almost don't want to believe what he's saying because yeah. it's so outrageous. That's where I am. Yeah, yeah, and the funny thing too is, is that that sort of like ho hum. Uh, perspective to some degree on baseball is part of why he's such a good hitter. Like he, in the postseason when he's played in those big moments, his heart rate is probably like that, right? Uh, that that's uh, that's part of who he is. All right, what'd you make of what his teammate Mike Trout said, talking about? You know what? I, I feel like I, I you know I'm loyal to the Angels and I want to win here. So I think th there were comments that I would describe as both refreshing and tragic because on one hand. It is refreshing for a generational player to operate with a loyalty and, in his case, a humility like the players of yesteryear that we truly romanticize about. And I think that his lack of legacy obsession is actually quite healthy in the sort of discourse, the sort of culture, the sort of climate and sports that we have created. But, of course, all of that comes at the expense of capital B baseball and all of its fans because, of course, Buster – Loyalty is a two-way street, and while Mike Trout has more than kept up his end of the bargain, the team has obviously not. And so what we have, to date at least, is a career with immense value, but zero consequence. So I think the best way to describe the Mike Trout experience so far is a baseball tragedy. And I think the more time that elapses, he will be viewed as a sympathetic figure less and less. And it's interesting because I view Trout as sort of being on the complete opposite end of enthusiasm for where Anthony Rendon is. Like I, Mike Trout gets up every day and he's like, a, it feels like a nine-year-old, like, man, I get to go play baseball. And guess what? They pay me a lot of money to do this. So I, I hope that enthusiasm that uh, he goes through every day, uh, at some point he's going to be rewarded, you know, for his loyalty to the Angels. All right, some uh, rumors in the news. Matt Chapman is one of the Boris Five, still looking for a job. He's been connected uh, to some degree. Ryan Divish, who does a great job covering them for the Seattle Times, 
wrote about the possible interest of the Mariners. When I saw this, I thought, man, that that would be too risky for me if I'm the Mariners. I know his defense is great, but what would concern me is, is that you're talking about a team that's just having some financial issues. I don't know if I'd want to invest a ton of money in a player who struggled so much offensively last year, Hembo. What did you think? We can we can get to the financials if you'd like, but I want to sell you on Matt Chapman from just a baseball standpoint and why I think he is a great fit on both sides of the ball. So okay. their shortstop last year, uh, excuse me, their shortstop, J.P. Crawford, over the last two seasons, all right, he's plus 11 plays saved to his right and minus 23 to his left. And so Chapman's ridiculous range, which he still has to his left, I think would enable Crawford to cover up that blemish and take that team from being one with, a bad infield defense to a good infield defense basically overnight. And I think Chapman is also a considerably better offensive player than the world believes. All right. By OPS plus he's had a league average or better batting line in all seven seasons in which he's played ranging from 100 to 137. And as a base runner, he takes the extra base with 52% frequency. That's a considerably higher number than the league average during his career. And as recently as last year, ranked in the 80th percentile in average sprint speed. So it is a skill that he still has. Would I be willing to invest a disproportionate amount of money? No, of course not. But thinking something like three years for 60, four years for 72, five years for 80, something in that neck of the woods strikes me as a reasonable contract for a player that I think has more two-way value than some are recognizing. There are rumors that the uh, well, this isn't a rumor; it's a fact. The Yankees have had a long-standing offer on the table to Blake Snell. Uh, now, there's been also been some reporting that maybe it's not as ardent as uh, as Snell would like. It's in fact, it's probably not even in the ballpark. I, I still think that in the end, he makes a lot of sense for either the Yankees or the Orioles on a very short-term lucrative deal. For the Yankees to sign him, they would have to basically pay, I think it's a tax of 110% for every dollar on that contract. So in other words, you can basically double it plus in terms of what his actual cost of the Yankees would be, which is why I don't think it would happen. But man, he would help. Let me make you the pitch. If I were Brian Cashman and you're my boss, all right, the floodgates have opened. The 101-win Orioles have at least temporarily lost their best starter from last season. The 99-win Rays just had to shed salary, and they're without Wander Franco. The 89-win Blue Jays had no plan B this offseason after Shohei Otani left them at the altar. And our biggest rival, the Red Sox, had a, have had an offseason to date highlighted by Lucas Giolito. The path is clear for us to return to the top of the division. My contract offer is two years $87 million with a player opt-out after year one. Woo! All right, That makes him the second highest paid player in baseball behind only Otani in each of the next two years. But it's a, it's a short-term commitment. We're approaching $300 million in competitive balance tax payroll. But the penalties for those, Buster, in my opinion, are not nearly as punitive as the owners want us to believe. I recognize that my job's on the line that Aaron Boone's job is on the line, but your franchise is worth $7 billion. Let's go for the gusto for this year. And when you add him to a rotation that already includes Garrett Cole and Marcus Stroman and Carlos Rodon, and what should be a much improved lineup, I see a path for us to win 100 games in the American League East. Hal, what say you? Well, I don't know if I'd go that far to say that they would win 100 games, but what you're suggesting is the Yankees should effectively pay him at the cost to them of $87 million per year. For one year of Blake Snell, because of the tax rate, or $90 million, it'll cost them for one year of Blake Snell. But to follow up on your point, I do Mm. think they have to ask themselves the question, uh, if we don't at least make the American League Championship Series or even the World Series, how are fans going to react? And what would it be worth to the franchise if we do win a championship? And that should be their focus at this point, especially with Aaron Judge right in the middle of his career with one year of Juan Soto. Yeah? Yes. Um, the Yankees didn't do what I thought they should do. You know that I had a much more <laughs> responsible plan for the Yankees in which I felt they should have entered some kind of modified rebuild by improving their infrastructure. Instead, they decided to go for it at the big league level by trading for Verdugo and by trading for Juan Soto. 
and by signing Marcus Stroman and by a year ago signing Carlos Rodon and doing a lot of win now things. And this is coming. This is a team that won 82 games last year with a negative run differential. I don't happen to think they're that close, but the moves that they made, given the fact that Aaron Judge and Garrett Cole are in their primes, is evidence of the fact that they think they can do it. So right. my logic is, if I'm Brian Cashman, like my job in peril, and it seems that both the fan base is out for blood and the owner is putting pressure on me to win. So what do I care if we have future payroll implications when Blake Snell can make me better right this second? That's why I think the Yankees, and operating with a sense of urgency right now, can actually justify paying Blake Snell 200 cents on the dollar, if you will, because it's, it's the kind of move that could be an enormous difference you know, in the long run, um, or in the long run this season, I should say. And so while it might be unreasonable uh, from the perspective of how it's going to cook your books, if I'm Brian Cashman, I'm not all that worried about that if I'm going to be the GM of a different team next year. In a moment, we're going to be talking with Alex Atopoulos, the leader of the Atlanta Braves organization. And I asked you this morning to send uh, or to uh, to create your personal top list of top three head of baseball operations, general managers, head of base, you know, president of baseball ops, whatever their title is, the person who runs the the front office for each team. Who would be your top three in baseball? Let's go with number three. Number three, I have Eric Neander of the Rays. They've played at a 96-win pace over the last six years. That's fourth best in baseball with a payroll that is ranked 25th or lower in all of those seasons. He is the dictionary definition of doing more with less. Number two on my list is Andrew Friedman. Sure, the Dodgers have all sorts of resources, but they have just lapped the field during the regular season. Buster, they've played at a 103-win pace since 2017, during which time? They're 31 wins better and 307 runs better than any team in baseball. And by the way, he just landed the biggest free agent in history on a contract that is going to require them to rewrite the uh, the CBA the next time they do this thing, right? So he's great. But number one on my list is the aforementioned Alex Anthopoulos. Let's remember, he took over a Braves team after four consecutive losing seasons, which is not something that had happened to them in 25 years. And they've gone on to win the National League East in six straight years. My favorite thing about Alex Anthopoulos is probably your favorite thing about Alex Anthopoulos, and that's because he possesses a superpower, one that enabled him to sign Austin Riley and Matt Olson and Ronald Acuna and Spencer Schreider and Sean Murphy and Michael Harris and Chris Sale and Ozzie Albies and others to extensions that the sort of industry believes to be team-friendly. It's probably the most valuable skill that a GM can have is, is convincing players and their agents to sign deals that are below market value and do it again and again and again. And that's why I think infrastructurally, the Braves have the best system, the best program in all of baseball. And he's the biggest reason why. All right, Embo. I will pass on your thoughts to him. Thanks for doing this. <laughs> Later, friends. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with Code Baseball. That's Code Baseball. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. Alex Anthopoulos is the head of baseball operations for the Atlanta Braves. And, and Alex, I, you know, through the years, first off, thanks for doing this. You know, through the years, I've enjoyed uh, our conversations, um, whether it's on podcasts or privately, about clubhouse culture. And it, it was one of the first things I thought of with the, in re relation to the Braves for this season is the clubhouse culture of 2024, given the departure of Ron Washington, who was your third base coach, and Eric Young, your first base coach, just because those guys on a day-in-and-out basis were such a positive force 
in your clubhouse. You know, give me your assessment of that and and uh, what you were thinking as those guys uh, left for the Angels. Yeah, I think it's 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 really big, and it's probably I didn't understand it or appreciate it early in my career, and that's re- reflected in the fact that I don't. I have, it's reality. I I didn't play. I didn't spend time in clubhouses. I didn't. You know, so I've had to kind of learn on on the fly as I've gotten opportunities. But you know, look, every major league coach, minor league coach, they all have talent, ability. You wouldn't get to this level without really good content. Um, but. The, the separators for the great ones, especially at the big league level, is the ability to, to connect. And um, with both of those guys, with Ron Washington and Eric Young, they connect as well as anybody I've ever been around in the game. And you know the theme that really jumps out, and it's not taking anything away from the people we have because we think we still have a fa- fantastic staff, um, the energy they bring. You know, you hear about it a lot with players and bringing high energy guys and so on. And... Um, you realize the energy they bring day in and day out. You need it. It's like putting a collection of players. So, you know, we have Tom Goodwin replacing Eric Young at first base, and he's a high-energy guy. And it's it's just it's a reminder for me of that. I think you don't want to have an entire staff of high-energy guys, but you need that blend. You need that that balance. And with Wash and EY, um, they exuded it. And um, they're obviously, they're going to be a huge loss, but I'm thrilled for them at the same time. Well, and as you say, you've got great baseball, great baseball people in your clubhouse between Snitker and you know Walt Weiss and and Sal Fasano, et cetera. Um, you know, but it's just going to be different, that's for sure. I got to say, just being walking into your clubhouse because those two guys were such a big presence in the past. Uh, all right, so your big move during the offseason was the trade for Chris Sale. Uh, I'm curious about what made you confident that he was healthy enough to invest in the way that you guys did. Yeah, I mean, look, there's no doubt there, there's risk, right? And, um, you know, we if he would just come off, obviously, 180-plus innings and top five finish in the Cy Young, probably not available or a lot more expensive. And I think it's one of those things that we feel like it's on the, the arrows pointing up with him. I know, I know he's older, but we just feel like once he got away from the Tommy John, a lot of the injury stuff was freak. And prior to the Tommy John, he's a pretty durable guy. And, um, you know, even last year, he threw 100 innings. He threw well, and he had some bad luck, too. And you know, his ERA was a little over four and probably been more representative to be in the threes. But he never had a proper offseason. He never had a proper ramp up. Um, and, look, we think the ability is phenomenal. We think he's a top three starter in a rotation. Um, and, again, from an injury standpoint, arm-wise, he's in a really good place. Look, he had a, a, a comebacker, you know, in terms of his hand. Then he had a wrist issue, then a rib. and um, But in terms of elbow, shoulder, it's been pretty good uh, since the Tommy John. So we're really op- optimistic. And look, and I think a huge part of it as well is who he is as a person, as a teammate, as a competitor. A lot of our prospects are on the mound. A lot of our best young talent outside of the big league clubhouse is on, on the mound. And look, we've always had an infusion of young arms. And having guys like Charlie Morton, having guys like Chris Sale, um, I'm a big believer. Players make other players around them better. It's very hard to quantify, but you know, and we're not asking Chris or Charlie to be anything other than them themselves. But who they are and the way they go about it, I think that'll impact careers. And and again, I don't know, you know, how that's going to impact the RAs and innings pitched and work ethic. But um, I have seen it over the years that players make others better, and I think Chris is going to add a, a tremendous part of that as well. So the conversation about who the best player in baseball this year, the MLB Network is doing a top 100, and I know their choice in, in a year in which Otani's not going to pitch, uh, their choice might come down to Aaron Judge and your guy, Ronald Acuna Jr. You know, I had a conversation with Joey Votto recently in which he said to me he thinks that, you know, he could see Acuna still getting better as he goes forward because he, he views him as a developing player. Um, you know, internally, the, what's your guy's view of, of what – uh, you know, ways in which he might grow as he goes forward. Yeah, you know what? You know, I respect Joey primarily because he's Canadian. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, you know, obviously I've been I've been really fortunate. I've been around Ronald from the day he got called up, so I've seen every every at bat pretty much of his career, and I agree with him. And I know it's crazy to say that that he's getting better, but he actually is. You know, some guys have career years, and you're like, wow. The stars aligned. Everything was great. Um, probably not going to have a year like that again. Can be a great, can have other great seasons, but not 
a year like a certain player had. I think with Ronald, I, I just I hate to say you expect it, but he's that good. He really is. And you know, the one thing that surprised me last year was that he cut the strikeout rate by so much. Yeah. I think when he was a young player, I just expected him to you know, be in the mid twenties in terms of a percentage strikeout rate, and that was just going to be part of his game: defense, speed, power. You know, you're going to have to give up something. And um, I didn't want to ask him all of last year. I did not ask him one time. He was in the zone. I never brought it up to him. I just didn't ever ask about his game. Just have, I just had standard conversations with him. And I actually finally asked him this past offseason. I said, hey, now that the season's in the books and it's done, I'm dying to ask you, how did you cut that strikeout rate? Like, we didn't give him anything. He said he started doing a bunch of tea work with Fernando Tetis' father in the winter. And he said he'd never really incorporated it a ton. And he thought that was, you know, that really helped him just hone his swing and so on. And I started hitting guys about that. I'm like, wow, why don't we just get everybody to start doing more tea, tea drills and no one's going to swing and miss. But he's just a freak talent and he keeps getting better. And I don't think what he did, I think he can do it again. You know, maybe not the exact totals, but I think he can, you know, assuming health, um, there is not one part of what he did that was luck, good fortune, um, or just things the stars aligning for him. It's just he is legitimately that incredible a player. You talked about his routine. I had a conversation a couple of weeks ago with Kevin Seitzer, your hitting coach, as well as EY about Acuna, and they both talked about uh, the growth in him in their eyes, making adjustments from pitch to pitch and from play to parents to play to parents as being underrated. Uh, along those lines, I'm curious about what you saw in him. You know, he um... – Again, it's just, you know, you look at you know, the average, obviously the batting average was tremendous. And, it, you know, sometimes you're going to have some good fortune and balls are falling in and so on. But he, uh, I mean, it, he, he, I don't remember a moment that he slumped candidly. Like, I don't remember a moment last year that he had to adjust or he had a bad stretch. Um, I mean, look, in the postseason, the, the entire team, we had one extra base hit in four games, but you know, but in terms of that season, that six-month stretch, I think the one stat doesn't get talked about enough. I mean, the runs scored were out of this world last year. Everyone talks about the stolen bases and the home runs, rightfully so. Uh, but the number of runs he scored, uh, yeah. and his ability to post. But he's look, he's getting better. He's clearly making uh, making adjustments and so on. Uh, he continues to put in the work. He's in exceptional shape. You don't know as guys are going to age. You know, they their body, everything starts slowing down a little bit, and he's in better shape today. I feel like than when he came up at, at 20, um, which is a credit to him and adjustments, work ethic, all those things. So in the first day that Spencer Strider spoke with reporters this spring, he seemed to completely embrace the, the idea of, of, uh, of just seizing on to expectations, you know, feeling like that uh, there was still a lot left on the table last year with your guys early exit in the postseason. When you read his comments, how did you feel? exactly what I would have expected from him. And because, you know, Spencer's well thought out. That didn't just come out. Um, they're not the same, but, you know, what I thought about was earlier in my career, um, we had just traded for Josh Donaldson in Toronto and we got off to a rough start. And he was having a phenomenal year. Um, and he's clearly had emerged as, you know, one of the best players on the team. And he ended up winning the MVP that year. But I remember we had a series against the Astros I think we got swept. I think it was a four-game series, Toronto-Houston 2015. And um, Donaldson right in the media said, uh, this isn't the, the tri-league. This is the get-it-done league. And I felt it as a GM. It put pressure on me in, in a good way. Made me step up my game. I think it, put, um, it created expectations around the team and so on. And I think with Spencer, is he is so driven to win. I mean, he is obsessive about it. It is real. It is sincere. It is genuine. I mean, he... Uh, is he is passionate? I think part of, I don't I haven't asked him, but I think that's part of the reason he was so excited about getting Chris Sale because I would think he views himself in similar light because you see a lot of articles and stories about how competitive Chris Sale was, and and obviously still is. And Spencer is just that guy. This isn't. I mean, this is about team and this is about winning and making sure you leave every ounce of you out on that field, whether it's off season, in season, and so on, and. You know, I think that's him starting the lead. You know, you know, he's a young player. I think he's one of the best starters in the in the game, clearly. But I think that's him now being comfortable, you know, setting expectations for himself, for the organization, for his teammates, which I think is a great thing. 
So you remember when Jake Arrieta was with the Orioles, you know, wildly talented uh, and yet, you know, sort of up and down performance. And then when he was traded to the Cubs, the first thing the Cubs did with him was to Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer sat down with him and they basically asked him, how do you view yourself? What do you want to do? And Jake talked about wanting to go back to being athletic in his delivery, being less mechanical. And as you know, he went he took off after that point. No one doubted the talent, but. Uh, with that conversation, it seemed to launch him. What were your first conversations with Jared Kelnick, who obviously has been seen as someone with a lot of of great talent that you know hasn't fully manifested in the big leagues? Yeah, I think. Look, I remember being at I think it was the winter meetings. The gym, they all kind of blur blur together. But I remember calling him when we made the trade. Uh, I believe we were in Nashville, so I think that was the winter meetings this past year uh, when we finally completed that deal. I remember calling him. And look, it's a whirlwind when guys are getting traded. You know, one, they're getting calls from the team. So Seattle obviously called them. So it's like getting hit with a ton of bricks. Now I'm following up and calling. Um, so, you know, we had a somewhat brief conversation. Not a, not all that brief, um, but just, you know, reiterated, look, take your time, settle in. Um, you know, at that time, I, for me, it was just what the expectations were. Von Grissom was still on the team. And I told him, I said, look, I said, you know, right now you're going to come in and compete. Von Grissom's going to compete with you, but we're going to take the best players. But we obviously traded for you for a reason, and, and we like you. Um, and then I got to talk to him again um, after, you know, a little later in the offseason, just talking about about baseball players, things like that. Um, I think this is someone who's been through a lot in his career in terms of expectations, burning desire to be, be great. I think, and again, he's just my – I don't know him well, obviously. My impressions are he really, truly – um, you know, wears his heart on his sleeve, and it's exceptionally important to him for him to deliver and be be a good player and fulfill on his 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 promise. And I think this will be a good spot for him because he's not expected to be the guy. You know, I don't know where Snit, uh, our manager, will put him in the lineup, but I'm assuming it'll be towards the bottom. I think he just go out and relax and be himself. You think about you're in a big trade with Diaz. You know, you're you're a, a top pick with the Mets, then you get traded in the Diaz trade. Obviously, a lot of expectations in Seattle. I know when I got here to Atlanta, Dansby Swanson had a ton of expectations. Hometown kid, first overall yeah. pick in the draft. It just took a little while for him to get it going. So, um, look, he's intense. The work ethic is off the charts. And he has a burning desire to be be great. And we don't need him to be great. We just need him to play good defense, have competitive at-bats. And, you know, what we get beyond that, he's obviously got the talent to do anything he wants in this game. Uh, but he can just go out and play his game and get better. And you know, I'm hopeful that, look, everyone's got great coaches and so on. But maybe being around some of our, our players and you know, seeing their routines, maybe he'll learn some, some some things there, just be exposed to a new environment as well. So um, I think he'll be a great fit for us, especially getting a left-handed bat, which that was a priority for us. Last one. Uh, you just got this uh, long-term contract that keeps you tied to the Braves for a long time. So where are you in your ongoing musings about possibly getting a dog? <laughs> um, you know, the thing for us, so the, uh, you know, the, that contract, you know, my thing was about stability for our family and kids, right? So in terms of uh, establishments and pets and things like that, those will be ongoing conversations. But, you know, I think you're going to you know, keep my, those internal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and, you know, in my view of it is, because you have a contract doesn't mean you get to see the end of it right so um yeah you have a contract which is great from a financial standpoint but you know my view is that i have to earn my way to the end of it you know and i have to earn my way and want you know i have to do a good enough job that they want to keep me all the way through and you know it happens to coincide i got two kids a 13 and 11 uh 2031 is when my 11 year old would graduate high school so uh it would be phenomenal to have them get through school in Atlanta. And we made the decision being Canadian that, you know, this is where we're going to set down roots and settle in. And you just don't know when you're a sports executive, you know, city to city, team to team, your jobs are here today, gone tomorrow. So we felt like we wanted to make a decision, not move our, our kids around. And, you know, for me, the length was more important than anything else. Um, and I was really grateful that Terry McGurk was willing to do that for me. All right, Alex, thanks for doing this. And I will see you down in Florida. Really appreciate it. Thank you. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes. 
The clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, 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 with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Buster. Just go to Indeed.com slash Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Baseball Tonight. 2024 team preview. New York Yankees. Machinations. They made the most significant trade of the winter, swapping a lot of young pitching for future Hall of Famer Juan Soto, who will play right field and presumably will bat behind Aaron Judge in the Yankees lineup. They also got outfielder Trent Grisham in that swap and landed Alex Verdugo in a separate deal. The Foundation. What happened in the Yankees' frustrating season of 2023 confirmed what we already knew. They are a completely different team when Aaron Judge is in the lineup. His season was interrupted when he slammed his right foot into a bullpen gate at Dodger Stadium, and in the end, the Yankees were 57-49 when Judge played. And when he didn't play... They were six games under 500. He is healthy and ready to go. The weakest link. The Yankees thought they had a real shot to land Yoshinobu Yamamoto, but missed out. And they'll have to go into the season with some depth questions in the rotation behind Cy Young Award winner Garrett Cole. Lefty Carlos Rodon coming off a disastrous season. Nestor Cortez, who battled injuries in 2023. Marcus Stroman who was signed because Yamamoto was not signed, and Clark Schmidt. Win projection. The dynamic duo of Judge and Soto is going to do a lot of damage, and the bullpen will be excellent again. I say the Yankees will win 94 games. Sarah Lang says 95. Hembo's prediction is much more reserved. 89 wins. Meredith Marakovitz covers the Yankees for the Yes Network. And Meredith, I thought about this. Uh, there are a bunch of teams that feel like they're in a must-win position this year. Uh, the Dodgers certainly at the head of the list because of all the money they spend the offseason. But the Yankees might be uh, right up there. What's at stake for this team in 2024? Well, you know what? Not making the playoffs last year certainly was a huge blow. But when you look at it, they haven't won a World Series since 2009. And this is a fan base that is hungry. This is a fan base that has been frustrated and upset. They've made some moves this offseason in hopes to better the roster. But I think a ton is at stake, not only for them, but for this organization in general. They want to prove once again that they can be the top dog at the end of it. And they just have not been able to do that lately, whether or not those moves pay off well we're gonna have to wait and see so if they don't have a good year uh, what what do you think those consequences might be 
Well, I, I think the two guys I mentioned are certainly going to be evaluated depending on what happens. And if they don't win what went wrong, I think Hal Steinbrenner is going to be forced to make some hard decisions. Now, they are hoping that they are not in that situation, that that's not going to be part of it. They feel confident with the offseason that they've had. But there's one thing to put a, together a roster and say guys are going to play better than they did a season ago. Injuries played a role in it. But at the end of the day, they need to prove it on the field. So until they're the last man standing, you wonder what's in store for the future of several people in this organization. You know the team better than I do. Uh, from the outside looking in, you know, I, I think the rotation depth to me is the biggest question. What about for you? I think it's a big question. There's no doubt about it. Obviously, to make some of those trades, they had to give up some major talent. And the first guy that comes to mind is Michael King. We saw what he did down the stretch um, as a starter in that rotation. And they firmly believed that he was going to be a part of the rotation heading into this 2024 season. Obviously, the Padres wanted him in the deal and for good reason. So that left a bit of a hole. They do feel as though they have enough depth. Now, that depth really not proven they've got guys like will warren that are waiting in the wings one of the younger guys coming up clayton beater uh Luis heel back from tommy john surgery so they do have options and some of those options may even be some unknowns that we're not necessarily talking about or thinking about ideally the guys that they're counting on will remain healthy. But as we know, when you go through a baseball season, it takes more than five starters. It often takes many more than five starters. And guys are going to need to step up along the way if they are going to make a run at this thing. So, as you know, uh, last year in San Diego, uh, there was always a question about Juan Soto's spot in the lineup. Uh, what's your sense of, of where the, the Yankees are going to hit him? You know what? Ideally, I think in, in a perfect world with nobody having any issues with it, Boone would probably like to go LeMahieu, Soto, Judge. But I'm sure he's heard that as much as the next one. And Aaron Boone has already said that he had talked to Juan Soto multiple times. Uh, you wonder new environment, different team, different players in that lineup, such as Aaron Judge. Does that make Juan Soto a little more comfortable uh, hitting second? Or does he ultimately say, no, I don't feel comfortable there. I can't do my best work there. Uh, I think that's all a conversation. I don't think anything is set in stone here on February 14th. I think it's something that's going to be ongoing dialogue. And look, the roster you have right now and the people that you think you're going to pencil into that batting order and the way you're going to pencil them in right now could change so much by the time opening day kind of rolls around. And why I think it's a topic of conversation, I think it's one of those wait and see. Let's see how this spring develops. Let's see how this spring unfolds. But if I had a guess, that would be the way that Aaron Boone would like it. But as long as Soto and Judge are paired up, either two, three, one way or the other, I think uh, the Yankees are going to feel like they're in pretty good shape. So when Soto joined the Padres, he struggled right at the outset. Uh, and I, you know, I covered the Padres for a few years and covered the Yankees for some years. And, and the, let's face it, Yankee fans, the, the margin of error for them is going to be a lot smaller. How important do you think it is for him in his free agent year to get off to a good start? Well, it's huge from a personal perspective, being a free agent, but I think everybody knows what Juan Soto can do. We've been seeing it for a long time, but I think from a team perspective, more than anything else, it's important for this team to get off to a good start. Now, Buster... I don't know if you know this, the fans in New York could sometimes be a little bit harsh, and I'm sure <laughs> should certain guys, maybe not necessarily Juan Soto, but other guys get off to a little bit of a tough start, they could hear the boo birds very early on, and that affects some guys more than it affects others. You think there are enough guys in that clubhouse with experience, with leadership experience, uh, that would help get some of these new guys kind of used to it and used to what it's like playing in New York. But, you know, when I look at Juan Soto in particular, he doesn't look at look to me uh, like a guy that that is going to shy away from the bright light and from the spotlights of New York City. I think he's very much looking forward to playing there. And uh, there's no reason to believe with his talent that he shouldn't get off to a good start. And even if he's a little slow out of the gate, you imagine with him, it's going to even out throughout the course of the season. Yeah, with a lot at stake for him uh, in this season going into free agency. Uh, your X-Factor player on this team, uh, for me, I've got Giancarlo Stanton, an awful finish in 2023 at 191 uh, last year. Looked just lost, 9 for 70 uh, down the stretch. Who is that guy for you on this team, the X-Factor player? 
You know what? That's a great choice. Uh, I would certainly put him in my top three. DJ LeMahieu, another one. Exactly where is he going to land? Is he going to be the guy that we saw the second half of last season? Or is he going to be the DJ that struggled in the first half of the season? He is so crucial to that lineup and extending that lineup. But the X factor for me, I think this year, just kind of basing it off, what you asked me earlier about that pitching depth is Carlos Rodon. He did not have a great year as a Yankee. He started off on the injured list. I I think that was part of it. He really never was able to get in the groove. And then once he got out there, it just did not go well and kind of snowballed from there. Put a ton of work in this offseason. He came in a little bit slimmer, trimmed down, ready to go to work. So I think if they can get innings out of Carlos Rodon and he can become the signing that they thought that they were getting in Carlos Rodon a year ago, that can make all the difference for that rotation. I think they are going to hit this year. I think they're going to be better and more consistent offensively. But the pitching and the p- pitching depth is something uh that's that's a little shaky perhaps so Rodon is my x factor all right Meredith thanks for doing this great to talk to the LC in Tampa sounds good see you soon baseball tonight 2024 team preview New York Mets machinations the most expensive acquisition was David Stearns, the team's head of baseball operations, who will make something in the range of $60 million to $75 million while working for the richest owner in the majors. The Mets add a lot of roster depth. Pitcher Sean Mania, Luis Severino, and Jake Diekman, among others. Infielder Joey Wendell and outfielder Harrison Bader. The weakest link. Unless Stern shocks his peers and signs Pete Alonso to a long-term deal, Alonso's status will dominate media conversation around the team. Alonso is set for free agency at year's end, and he plays a position that has not borne a $200 million-plus contract in more than a decade. And the Mets' perception of his market value may be very different than what Alonso's is. But Alonso is also a beloved homegrown player, and he's one of the sport's best power hitters for a team in desperate need of more power to keep up with the Braves and Phillies. The weakest link. Edwin Diaz was the sport's best closer when he blew out his knee in the World Baseball Classic last year, and a lot of members of the clubhouse believe the team's 2023 season began to crumble at the moment that Diaz went down in a heap. Assuming that Diaz retains the quality of slider he showed two seasons ago and improved bullpen, should drive the Mets' win total upward. Win projection. They should be better, although their pitching staff is top-heavy again. If the Mets are going to contend, they must have a dominant year from Kodai Senga, who had a 2.79 ERA in his last 25 starts last season. Sarah Lang says 80 wins for the Mets. Hembo predicts 79. I've got them at 81. Steve Gelbs is a big part of the Mets coverage on SNY. You see him working the sidelines during games. I heard him on play-by-play. Uh, Steve, how you doing? I'm good, Buster. How are you? I'm doing great. So I was thinking about the, you know, what questions to ask you, and, and it occurred to me that Max Scherzer threw a whole lot of, of murkiness over the 2024 uh, Mets on his way out the door when he talked about a conversation with the front office and how his perception the team was going to take a step back. David Stearns, I think, clearly has a different perspective. (laughs) In your (laughs) eyes, how good is this team right now? I think this is a team that has a wide variance in terms of how this season can go. Um, And, you know, obviously that's true of any team. Nobody would have expected last season's Mets to to end up the way that they did. But, um, you know, I do think that there are a number of different scenarios that you could really plausibly see playing out this way uh, for this 2024 team. But I don't think that enough people are giving credence to the the good possibilities. I think a lot of people, just based on the way this offseason went, uh, not as splashy as the last few years for the Mets, feel as though this is going to be a step-back season I will tell you that the more I'm around this group, though, and the more you really dig into what David Stearns is trying to do, uh, the more I believe that this is a team that could absolutely compete for a playoff spot this year. Uh, I don't think that the division is necessarily realistic, but uh, a wild card is certainly a, a realistic goal for this team. Because they got a lot of really good players. I remember yeah. when I you know, read that that Max had said that initially, I'm like, wait a second. 
They're getting Edwin Diaz back, who was the best reliever in baseball at the time that he got hurt. You got Lindor, you got Nimmo, you know, you got Pete Alonso, you got Senga. It's not as if the cupboard is bare and this team is going into full rebuild. And by the way, they got the highest payroll in baseball. Yeah, and I think another thing that people are really underestimating is that Starling Marte looked healthy. And yes. Starling Marte was not healthy last year from day one. Um, and if you really look back on the 2022 season where things started to fall apart was when Marte got injured in September. And, you know, I remember having a conversation in 2022 with Eric Chavez where he was talking about, you know, getting to know his hitters and how the more the year went on, the more he realized that everything that this offense did well was um, what or every time this offense was going well. Starling Marte was in the middle of it and he brings a dynamic that you know is pretty rare and so if Marte is healthy and again it's an if right everybody's saying he's healthy um and I believe them but we have to go out and, and see but if Marte is healthy if Diaz is healthy uh those are two huge pieces that were not a part of this group last year that will change I think the ceiling and the trajectory of this season Along those lines, how different does the bullpen look with Diaz back at the back end? I think the biggest thing is just it slots everybody back into place. And that's what was different last year. You know, this bullpen, if you had Diaz in the ninth and then you had Robertson and Adovino behind him, that's a very different look than, you know, Robertson being the closer and Adovino being the setup guy and Drew Smith maybe having to assume a role that, that he wasn't quite ready for last year. So you get Diaz there. You've got Adovino back. You've got Brooks Raley back. And they've got a lot of they've got a lot of arms. You know, they went out and they signed a lot of players. And not all of them are going to hit, but I think there are a lot of skill sets back there and a lot of guys that I think the the front office and the pitching staff believes they can harness to make a pretty good bullpen and a, a pretty deep bullpen in terms of options in the minors as well. So uh, it's a totally revamped bullpen, but uh, they've got they've got some options back there. And Diaz, again, he is a guy that slots everybody into place when he is back there. You know the team better than I do. My perception from the outside looking in is that the biggest question is the depth of the rotation and how it performs. If you know, if in fact that's the case, give me a key guy in the rotation behind Sanga. You know, I think it's got to be. It, I'm not going to give you one. I'm going to give you one of two. So. I think it's really got to be either Luis Severino um, or Sean Manaya. Because, I, you know, Sean Manaya was the only guy that they gave a, a multi-year deal to in the rotation that they brought in because I think they believe that the adjustments that he made last year and, um, you know, adding velocity and, and a new pitch, that this second-half version of Manaya is the real version of Manaya. So if he can be consistent that way, then that's a, a huge, huge benefit to this rotation, obviously. And Severino's the guy with the highest ceiling. You know, Severino, we've seen be an ace. We've seen be a Cy Young contender. If he can stay healthy and approach anything resembling that guy, then again, it completely changes what the outlook of this season can be. It's a huge question mark, though. And, you know, you can't really, if you're a Mets fan, you can't count on that. But I think that those... Those two guys, and especially Severino, if Severino can get back to something like we had seen in the past, then it changes the entire dynamic. As you know, the current trajectory looks like that uh, Pete, Pete Alonso is going to test free agencies. He's represented by Scott Boris, who almost always takes his clients into free agency. The two signs seem to be at peace with that. But how do you think that his unsettled situation beyond 2024 will impact the Mets this year, if at all? Uh, given Pete's personality? You know, I, I thought a lot about that coming into camp. I do think that the way it was handled publicly by both sides will dispel a lot of the tension. You know, you had you had a, a president of baseball operations in David Stearns who right off the bat said, listen, the likeliest scenario is that he goes to free agency and, and we see what happens. And then you had Pete yesterday saying something similar. And... I think where you get into trouble as an organization and as, as an individual is by throwing a lot of uncertainty and well, you know, we, we haven't talked, but maybe we'll talk and we'll see, or I don't want to talk about it. 
And then it just leads to a lot of questions and consistent questions from the media. It's kind of been put to bed in terms of the questions to ask for now. They're not talking long-term extension. There don't seem to be any signs that those extension talks will pick up. And so as a media member, I think it's kind of open and shut. And if it's not a constant conversation that way, I don't think it'll be a huge distraction. The only time I do think it could become a distraction is right around the trade deadline if right. this team is out of it um, or not you know, in buy mode. Then I think there's going to be a lot of legitimate questions about whether or not the best move for this team long term is to to trade Pete Alonso and recoup draft picks, and then if you want to try and resign him in the offseason, go ahead and do that. So that's the only time where I think it could really become a big distraction, based on the way that it was it was handled and kind of put to bed over the last few days. Yeah, and based on my sense of Pete's personality through the years, I think if he makes up his mind that that's how he's going to handle it, I don't think he's going to vary from that. Like, I don't think he's going to be a guy who's going to be whispering to reporters every day, hey, off the record, uh, boy, I'm jacking up yeah. my price now, right? No, nope, he's not. He, you're, you're spot on. And it's just, it's not his personality. When he goes out there and he says what he said, and, you know, he had a very set um, group of, of talking points in, in the introductory press conference, we knew that would be the case. But um, when he says that he's happy to be here and he's focused on this year and um, and doing the best he can this season and then the chips will fall where they may, he means it. He is not somebody that's going to sit there and, like you said, whisper in reporters' ear. It's just not the way he rolls. Steve, thanks for doing this. I always learn something. Buster, you're the best. First of many this year. Bleacher Tweets. All right, Buster, we got some new Bleacher tweets for you. Again, if you're interested in leaving us a message, be sure to call 406-404-8460 to leave a message for Buster about any of the MLB teams, and uh, we'll get those questions answered for you. Nice Montana number, 406 area code. Yes, sir. All right, our first one today will be from Peter in Minnesota. Peter from Cold Spring, Minnesota. Uh, long-time listener. Um, thanks, thanks for taking my call. Uh, as someone who chases ballparks and has been to all 30, I've had a keen interest in all the chatter lately about teams getting new parks, um, Chicago, Kansas City, Vegas, et cetera. Just curious on your thoughts. Of, if you had to place the bet, which one do you think would, would be built first? Um, again, thank you. Yeah, I think Kansas City will uh, you will get a new ballpark. Uh, the Royals' longstanding presence in the Kansas City community. Um, it wasn't that long ago that they won a World Series, and they've had so much uh, outpouring, I think, of support for the Chiefs. And it feels like that the the Royals are going to benefit from that, just as the Chiefs did from when the Royals won the won the World Series back in 2015. The next one, we have Eric from Vermont. Nice. Hey, guys, this is Eric O'Pearl. I'm out of Vermont. Love that buster from Vermont. That's great. Uh, my question to you guys is, I'm a big Yankees fan. Uh, could you see Anthony Bay reclaiming that leadoff spot if he shows that he's going to strike out less and put the ball in play more? Thank you, guys. Love the show. Eric, thanks for calling in. And uh, yeah, from Vermonter to Vermonter, I do think there's a chance of Olpe with lead, be the leadoff hitter. I think the number to watch is the on-base percentage. Uh, I don't think they worry quite so much about the strikeouts, but they want him to consistently have competitive at-bats. As you know, he didn't draw a lot of walks last year, but he seems to be one of those guys who will consistently get better during the course of his career. So that's the number to watch. I think early on uh, during the offseason, the thought is DJ LeMahieu leading off uh, you know, followed by Judge. I know when uh, Soto was with the Padres, he wound up, uh, his preference was to hit third. That's where he wound up hitting. Wouldn't surprise me if that how it aligns here. But Volpe, absolutely, as he did a few times last year, could wind up pushing his way to the top of the order. All right. And our last one for today is from Cliff in Alaska. Hi, everybody. This is Cliff Richter calling from Sitka, Alaska. I'm a lifelong Cardinals fan, and my question is this. In the National League Central, you have a lot of teams in about the same spot. It seems like they're one or two moves away from really separating themselves from the pack. I think I already know the answer to my question, but I'm wondering what's preventing these teams from just 
making that one move and and making themselves the clear front runner going into the season. Is it because the Dodgers and the Braves are considered so far ahead of these other teams that the uh, returns would be considered marginal and they'd rather take their chances? Or does it really come down to the bottom line and they're really that uh, business-minded that it's not worth spending another $20, 30000000 million to give your team a clear edge as a postseason contender? Thanks. Great show. Always love listening to you guys. Take care. Thanks, Cliff. Uh, thanks for listening. Um, look, I, I think that what the National League Central is, is it really needs would be one hyper-aggressive team. You know, the Cubs have not been that. The Cardinals have not been that in recent years. It's nice to see the Cincinnati Reds spending some money during the winter. The Pirates are, are certainly getting better. Uh, you know, the Brewers, yeah, them trading Corbin Burns tells you that not only are they uh, you know, yeah, they getting prospects in return, but they're also in a position of managing payroll. And I, I we've seen in so many uh, other instances in baseball history where if you have one team in a division that starts to spend aggressively, then it naturally forces other teams to consider more aggressive moves. You know, the best example of that over the last thirty years, of course, the Red Sox and the Yankees. You know, it became an arms race between those two teams. The National League Central needs a hyper-aggressive team, I think, to raise everybody's level uh, in terms of spending. I thought the Cubs were going to be that team after they reached the World Series uh, in 2016, but that uh, that just hasn't happened. They sold off, they retread, and now as they wait, sit here and wait for Cody Bellinger, uh, you know, they're not stepping out of the marketplace and making an aggressive offer based on where the market is. They're waiting for the player's price to drop to them. That seems to be the speed of the National League Central. All right. Thank you, everyone, for sending in some of your voice messages to us. Again, if you want to leave us a message, please call 406-404-8460. Yeah, and thanks for taking the time to, to leave those tweets. I, I love that uh, that element we're having on the show this year. That's it for today. My thanks to Meredith Marakovitz, to Steve Gelbs, Alex Anthopoulos, Hembo, and Sean Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. Dogs are an important part of our lives. That means protecting them from parasites. Ask your vet about NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus Chews provides one-and-done monthly protection against fleas, ticks, heartworm disease, roundworms, and hookworms. Plus... They're delicious and easy to give. Use with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting a preventive. Ask about NextGuard Plus Chews.